welcome to Straight Talk Live. My name is Rick Snyder, one of the co-hosts of this amazing show, where we explore human transformation, digital transformation, and social impact. And I'm the founder of um, Invisible Edge, the author of Decisive Intuition. I'm also head of culture at ReFound. And I'm incredibly excited about today's episode around data privacy and security. And I'm also joined by my co-host, Af Maholtra. Af, take it away. Thank you, Rick. Um, welcome to the, the audience again. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Another fantastic show ahead of us. And um, I'm, I'm very, very happy to announce that um, we have a repeat guest on the show. Um, in fact, a second or third, just because he was fantastic the first time and he's been kind enough to come back again. Um, we'll introduce them in a second. So I'm the uh, co-creator of this fantastic uh, not-for-profit initiative and also the co-founder of Growth Enabler. And uh, you don't really want to listen to me right now until we start with the questions. So Rick, over to you, my friend, and let's crack on with the show. Please introduce the guests and uh, off we go. Okay. And I know our audience, I know you, all of you out there are incredibly excited about this as well, because this is something we all face now. We're all really um, concerned about is our data privacy, our level of security. Uh, we, as we continue to go more digital, more of that is out of our control of how that information gets used. And so how can we be more informed as we consume um, more data and, and just more information and media and all the things that are out there uh, so that we can be more conscious on the choices that we make? And so without further ado, I want to introduce to you our special guests. We have Mateo and Anurag. Welcome to Straight Talk Live. Thank you, Rick. Hi, Rick. Hi, Rick. So let's have you both uh, introduce yourselves uh, for our audience. Um, we'll start with you, Matteo. Uh, you've been a return guest, but if you could just speak a little bit about um, your background and what also has you interested in data privacy and security. Yeah, sure. Thanks very much. So my, my background is uh, a bit varied. I work in financial services. I'm head of strategy and commercial at Standard Life in the UK. Um, my academic background is in political economics and security and privacy are something uh, that, that I've been very interested in that are near and dear to me for many, many years, uh, starting from, from uh, when I was uh, quite young, in fact, and my formal education uh, in philosophy led down this road of inquiring why, why is privacy, why is uh, the conversation around uh, the integrity of our security systems important? So my interest in this is very deep, uh, personal to me, and I'm, I'm absolutely delighted to, uh, to be on the call, uh, and, and thanks for having me back, and especially keen to be uh, sharing the, the, the time with Anurag, who is uh, somebody who has just a, a wealth of, of knowledge and experience that I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to get right into the issues with. Excellent. Let's kick it over to you, Anurag. Welcome. Thank you, Rick, and uh, thanks, thanks for the introduction, and thanks for the kind words, uh, Matteo. I'm delighted to be on the show today and to talk specifically about data privacy and security, something that is near and dear. But just from a background perspective, I'm based right outside of Washington, D.C. in Maryland uh, and uh, have really been involved in evangelizing technology right from the early days of the Internet uh, to the early days of mobile networks. And I've seen really these platforms grow and evolve uh, and, and kind of realized over a period of time the power and the strength that these uh, platforms that we all are using have and uh, there's a lot of goodness there too, but uh, there was also a lot of deception 
and also uh, unknowns in, in these platforms. And so that's what got me interested in, uh, in at least privacy issues. Uh, and security is something that, that I've worked on uh, through technology companies that I've had a chance to, to, to run uh, over the years. So, so this is a very natural topic to me, plus the fact that uh, my identity was stolen uh, due to no involvement or fault of mine gave me another impetus to kind of come to terms with why data privacy or at least the understanding of how your data is being used or abused is something you should be on top of uh, makes me even more interested on this topic. So really looking forward to the discussion uh, with all of you guys. Anurag, actually, let's start there. Um, so your identity was stolen. And I know a lot of people out there can relate to that or have had someone in their circle that has had an similar experience. Would you just share a little bit about that and um, what did you learn from that experience? Yeah, firstly, it was a traumatic experience. And then just mm -hmm. to relate real quickly how it came through. And nobody's prepared for it because not many people have gone through it. Apparently, my credentials that had been compromised uh, through a hack of a, a government agency um, came out and were available on the dark web. Somebody acquired them, used that to generate fake credentials uh, and ID and used those fake credentials and IDs to go out over a literally a four hour period on the Sunday afternoon uh, and go establish about close to 18 to 20 accounts in various stores across the region. And they physically actually went to those locations. So a person hmm. showed up at a Neiman Marcus uh, with a, a driver's license with my photo, with their photograph, but my wow. name and information, used my social security number and set these accounts. I luckily had the tools available to me, so I moved quickly. Law enforcement worked with me. Ultimately, they caught a hold of the guy. Uh, he had apparently done the same thing with about 45, 50 other people locally here. He was convicted. He did go to prison. Uh, but that's a good story. Uh, There's so many other stories that do not end up like this. I was able to manage all these accounts with the 20 merchants that uh, had extended credit to me, some up to $10,000. Right? So I managed all of that. It didn't impact my credit rating, which is hugely important. But there are so many other stories of people in that same situation where it does not end well. And that's why I think there has to be a heightened awareness about how we share our information, where it is stored, how it is managed, and what can happen as a result of that being abused. So, so again, my, my story ended well, but it doesn't necessarily always end well. Mm -hmm. I, I think it just to add to that, uh, thanks, Anurag. I think for those who are listening right now, uh, many of you must be thinking, well, of course, uh, you know, that gentleman there is in the security industry and in the messaging industry. He's he's fine. He's all protected. He's in the, uh, the you know, special secure tower because of the knowledge and awareness that you have. Right. Because this is your game. Everyone is susceptible. This is. Uh, and the reason we're holding this session today is because. Truly, you know, there is a sense of fear and anxiety amongst all of us, even, even those who are in the industry and those who are not, that our, that our privacy is perhaps on life support. And I think we need to change the game somehow. We need to be more aware, acknowledge that there are threats, both at a consumer level. And I just, want to, I just want to divide this conversation in two parts so we've got this really cool track going. One of the tracks is the consumer. And there's a lot to say about the consumer. You both have very strong opinions about the consumer and the attitude and the behaviors we need to change and, and, and the awareness levels. The other part is the enterprise, the big companies and their modus operandi and the way they look at privacy and data. And whilst they're joined up in many ways, 
they they're two different discussion points and we're going to we're going to be courageous and we're going to blend both in today and and almost be a little bit ambidextrous with the conversation if that's okay with both of you and finally just setting the scene if we have time we are going to touch on something um how do i put this a little bit uh, worrying sensational maybe exciting for some which relates to um cyber terrorism and cyber attacks and this whole new tsunami of threat that's coming our way, some believe. And so that will be towards the end of the session. So uh, Anurag, thank you for that. That was fantastic. Um, your experiences, uh, Matteo, um, tell us a little bit about your love or experience or concern or fear around this area of privacy and data. I know you've been studying it for many years as well. Yeah, I think I think the, the, the conversation around the consumer is a really important one. So the story that Anurag tells about having his identity stolen is one that everybody can relate to. And it's, it's, a, it's a scary one. Like you said, Rick, uh, everybody knows somebody or has heard the horror stories. We've all been victims of uh, hacks, uh, even, the, even the agencies that deal specifically in our private data, like Equifax was hacked. So everybody has some mm -hmm. understanding of what it means to have your data compromised. What I find astonishing and, and where I think the conversation really needs to go is that happens to us every single day on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on mm. Google, on mm. Amazon. But we don't, we don't think about it in the same way. We have two different modalities of, of thinking about this. One is, you know, my, my private information that I consider to be private because I could lose money or lose face. The other is the information that we give away freely in, in enormous quantities that we never really think about. I think that there are, there are a few folks that, that do really specifically target these questions. Um, and for, for anybody who heard uh, the discussion last time on the Tech Titans, I, I talked pretty extensively about some of the people that um, have, been, have been in this space. So Julian Assange, Edward Snowden, um, Bruce Schneier, uh, Kevin Mitnick, these are all you know, quite famous names in the security space. And they've been talking about this for many years. But what we haven't done as a global society is reckon with what does the collection of our private data really mean mm -hmm. uh, th that is the thing that i think we we really need to to come to terms with what does it really mean um so those of you who are really more in, in invested and involved in that conversation and doing more research the two of you um what are you seeing of how they're using that data how um even whatever they might be telling the public how are they really using that data what kind of sense do you have about that so from, from, from my perspective, I, I, I think it's clear, and, and, and you know, I'll say, as a, I'll put out a fairly strong statement here, that there is rampant abuse of consumer data and consumer information. Mm -hmm. And whether consumers realize this or not, that is true. And regardless of what platform you use, Matteo mentioned Facebook, uh, um, you know, uh, Amazon, and, and uh, you know, WhatsApp and others, right? Uh, there is rampant abuse. Now, there are some certain returns consumers get as a result of that data and that information and of that breach of that privacy and, and actually breach of that trust too, though they don't necessarily feel it directly. They do get some benefits. Some are willing to look the other way and trade off those benefits and say, I'm comfortable with this environment. But when actually you find out that that abuse extends to um, manipulating uh, behavior, manipulating behavior that could potentially have impacts that are 
you know, scary to quite a large extent. That's where there has to be an understanding and awareness at the consumer level that this data is being used and abused. As a result, I as a consumer, a smart consumer, have to safeguard my interest, get the trade-offs that benefit me, but also at the same time, point of time, protect myself so that I am not being manipulated in a manner that could impact my personal life. And so that is where that awareness needs to come in. And then going to Af's point about the enterprise, even though the enterprise and the consumer is, are two separate discussions, they actually intersect on the same platforms that mm -hmm. we are talking about today with Facebook, WhatsApp, and others. And as we talk about the enterprise, I'll, I'll give you a little more of a sense of what I mean there but they aren't separate. It's the same players that are essentially causing the abuse. That is what people have to have a better understanding of. Mateo, what do you think? I just, yeah. to, I just want to interject, sorry, for, and for both of you to pick this up as a use case, because you touched on it in the briefing call, both of you, which is Cambridge Analytica, um, only because a lot of people understand what happened there, um, you know, retro, uh, retrospectively. Is that what you're referring to when you're referring to the example you just shared, uh, Anurag? The, the uh, use cases that what, what Cambridge Analytica did with voting behavior. Is Absolutely. That I, I think that's a great example of how people's behavior was manipulated unconsciously mm -hmm. to go out and, and, and vote in a certain way. And, and, you know, we can sit here and argue whether it had an impact on the election or not, but I won't go there. But it's clear that an innocent survey that a lot of people took on a platform like Facebook, leveraging tools and, uh, and capabilities that Facebook has built into their platforms, allowed Cambridge Analytica to manipulate people's thought process and behavior, right? But that, that also extends to the way Facebook drives engagement on their platform too. Mm. That was in a, one example of how it impacted behavior of a large group of people. But I'm even individualizing this where on an individual basis, they will ensure they drive engagement in a manner that can disrupt and kind of force you to do certain things which you otherwise would not have. Now, maybe those are good things, but there's also a lot of badness there. We, we hear stories about anxiety, depression, and, and, and people who are actually, um, you know, going down this spiral of, uh, of, 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 of mental problems and issues, right, because of engagement driven on these platforms. And so, so that is what I'm talking about, where it, Cambridge Analytica is a great example of widespread impact to a behavior, but on an individual level too, unconsciously, your behavior is being impacted and there's goodness there to a certain extent, but there's a lot of badness there that mm -hmm. people have to be mindful of. Mm -hmm. gotcha. Mateo, please. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, I think the thing about Cambridge Analytica is that it's a, it's a sexy example and something that everybody's heard about. And I, I, I would echo everything that Anurag said there about um, manipulation. I think manipulation is far more, um, subtle than, than we, we often recognize. And we should be clear that Cambridge Analytica was able to function, yes, because Facebook gave them unfettered access, but it's, it's also not that difficult to get access to 
the data that people put out there. So even without the, the kind of unfettered access that, that Facebook allowed, you can derive huge amounts of information on, on who a person is. I think we, we've, we've all heard these stories about uh, uh, data researchers who go into look at Facebook data and they can predict uh, whether you're, they can predict your sexual orientation by the, the types of foods that you like and, and this type of thing, right? Mm. So that might not be the exact example, but you get the point. So I think th there's a question about the amount of data that we share with whom and how it's governed. I think the the other huge part of this conversation that that we we absolutely have to talk about is the legal framework, because the legal frameworks aren't aren't there, right? They're not sophisticated enough to be able to cope with the uh, quantity and and the amounts of data. Number one, but also how that data itself is manipulated. It, it's difficult for your average consumer to understand why it's important to. Uh, uh, not give away your personal details when you're making a single transaction, for example, right? So you go online shopping and we all do it. And it says, you know, we're going to, we're going to uh, uh, take a, take a cookie here and we're going to track your, your movements across the internet. And now all of these companies through third party uh, providers of uh, tracking capabilities knows all the websites that you've looked at before you made your ultimate purchase. And they will, mm. they will identify that with, you specifically, your your computer, the interface mm. that you're using, they're fingerprinting for devices, both mobile and in terms of your PCs. So they know who you are and they know what your habits look like. So the ability to infer things about your intentions is tremendous. And I think this is something that we 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 think about when we uh, when we look at the broad picture of all of your interactions, not just those individual transactions. So by, by, way of, by way of example, if you take in the United States, we have the Fourth Amendment, and the Fourth Amendment has a clause in it about privacy, and that's at a federal level, right? And that, that is the law of the land, although privacy in general isn't underpinned by a, 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 a terribly broad framework that complements today's technologies. In the European Union, you have the uh, GDPR uh, framework, which is the general data protection regulation, which says that you have to be, uh, as, a, as a provider of services and, and products, if you're collecting consumer data, you have to get very clear uh, consent to be able to collect that data. What neither of these frameworks really address is what happens once you've collected it. Because mm -hmm. once I've got your data, the way I manipulate that using multiple data sets, I can, I can build a picture of you that I can infer things about you that go light years beyond the data that you consented to give me. Mm -hmm. And that, that, is, that is automatic, it's algorithmic, it's driven by the same tools that we're talking about that, that provide us things like when you click on Netflix and it says, because you watch these 20 shows, we think you like this. And you look at it and you think, well, yeah, actually I would like that show. That, that might be a benefit like Anurag is talking about, but at what cost? Mm -hmm. What else do, do we uh, reveal about ourselves uh, th that's unbeknownst to us? I think that regulation needs to come to a place where we understand not just the data that a corporation has on us, but what they're doing with it. What data sets, what are you inferring about me? What kind of profiles are you building on me that you think articulate what my needs and desires are? And then the next step that we're talking about here with manipulation is how do you get me to act on that? So how, how do you use that to sell me more of your products or to sell that profile to third parties to get them to sell me products and services, et cetera. I, I think that this is, this is very much the direction that 
we need to we need to go down. It needs to be a regulated framework that's far more robust than we have today. But that's going to require conversations societally about what does it mean to to share your data. Mm-hmm. Do you think? Just a question. Do you think? I'm just thinking about consumers for a moment. Uh, what you describe there, sort of what's going on in my head is Google. Years ago, when Google came about, we started searching for things and we started to put uh, search terms in, even personal stuff. And and once ge- uh, once geolocation was enabled, frankly, Google, if you want to think about being a perpetrator as much as an enabler, actually had a ton of data about all of our searches. And the searches could be all sorts of interesting things. And you could build a picture of that person, their needs, their demands, um, uh, their concerns, their anxieties at that moment because you're searching for things. It could be medication. It could be a personal situation in your life. It could be, I hate my boss. What should I do about him? And so on and so forth. And it started off then. And I, what I'm trying to work out is we need to perhaps need to cut the consumer some slack, don't you think? Because we as consumers who are not in technology, but infl- affected by this, actually this, this technology is so ubiquitous. It's omnipresent, it's everywhere. And more and more than ever before, it's not just a laptop with a search tool. And we've been dependent on Facebook and I mean, it's hard to get off the thing, a Snapchat or TikTok for the younger generations. So I'm going into the practicality a little bit earlier, but because of the way you guys have articulated this. So what should a consumer then do? Uh, because if you're a, con- a consumer listening to this is thinking, uh, I'm I'm concerned now. I'm worried. Should I shut off Facebook? Should I delete my Facebook account? Should I uh, remove Alexa from um, my living room or all my bed my eight bedrooms? Uh, mm-hmm. what, what do you tell us? What What do you both think? Maybe Anurag, you could start, and then and then um, Matteo come in as well. No, at, at the end of the day, I think the consumers are not in a state of mind or in a position to even fathom or come to terms with or understand. Mm-hmm. everything that's going on in the background, right? Mm-hmm. Now, an argument can be made that they shouldn't have to, and going to what Matteo said, that there should be regulation in place that kind of protects that information so that they don't have to worry about it, right? You know, same way as we drive a car today, the, every aspect of that car, to a certain extent, is regulated. You know, what speed it can go to, what kind of safe, uh, safety features it needs to have, seat belts, airbags, emissions, right? So that has been, and so the consumer doesn't have to worry about it. They get into a car and they go out, right? And now the same consumer are going onto platforms like Google, Facebook, and others. And I, you know, those companies are for-profit companies, right? And they have gotten to a point where they're trying to maximize shareholder value, right? So I can't pick on them. So where does regulation come in? Now, having worked for the government, uh, I am the first one to say I'm a fan of overregulating any industry. But when you see rampant abuse, then you have, to, uh, you have to step in and manage that. If you see rampant abuse, anti-competitive behavior, where ultimately the consumer is getting impacted, that's when I think governments need to step in. So I would rather have an environment where the companies take on more responsibility about how they treat end user content and information, right? And, and I think that many examples of companies are doing that. I think Apple is a, is a great example who've actually taken a much more responsible view of how they manage uh, end user uh, information, right? Mm-hmm. And, and give the, the industry a chance to respond um, by governments who make them aware that this is an issue, What's going on is not right. You need to respond, come up with best practices amongst yourself. 
Now, even if that does not happen, then it's important for governments to step in and regulate. I think GDPR does it to a certain extent. I think they could have gone a little further, uh, but that's a different discussion. Uh, but you know, in the case of the US, we had this uh, um, Internet Decency Act that, was, um, uh, that came out in 1996. In 1996, it was meant to help um, freedom of expression on the internet, which is brand new at that time. As part of that, there's a section 230 that actually provides some safeguards and, and actually takes away liabilities from platform vendors on the internet and takes all liability away from them on information that is propagated on that platform. So what that means is if you're on Facebook and somebody puts out really bad stuff on Facebook, Facebook is not liable. They're immensely protected. Now, it was great in 1996. It worked at that time. But a lot has happened, and as a result of having zero liability, natural human, natural human behavior is not to do anything about it. Mm -hmm. And I think we are seeing a propagation of that issue. Mm. So, 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 so to directly answer your question, uh, I think consumers shouldn't have to worry about it. They should be protected. Uh, but that, and, and because they are buying a, a trusted service from a trusted source that is responsibly using their information. And if that doesn't happen, then I think regulation should help manage that issue. Mm. Okay, and I took, I took it away from you, Matteo. Um, what, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, so you had a line there that you said, F, do we need to cut the consumer some slack? And I would say emphatically, no, uh, it, it, the exact opposite. We need to put more responsibility onto the consumer to understand what it is they're doing. Uh, there's there's a uh, sociologist, political theorist called Max Weber, and he argues that there are different types of rationality because I think it's it's a helpful construct. It's it's a heuristic. It's a rule of thumb. It's just a, a model, uh, but it's 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 one that can be really helpful in uh, thinking about how do we think about these things. So what Max Weber was trying to do is to say that economic systems. Uh, are, are broadly rational. And when we think about what does rational mean, we very quickly realize that it means different things to different people at different times. So he broke down rationality into four categories. And the two categories that I'm interested in for the purposes of this conversation are uh, functional rationality and value rationality. So what do these things mean? Functional rationality is, is the rationality that we use that says the, the ends justify the means. Right? So it doesn't really matter how we get there. We want the end result. We're concerned with the function of the thing that we're trying to get. And this is where, where things like terms and conditions for applications, um, engagement with, with organizations, cookies on your computer, that's functional. Nobody reads the terms and conditions. Uh, mm -hmm. Nobody reads it, right? Mm -hmm. I, I mean, maybe there's, there's a, a few uh, people who are interested in, in privacy law, some, uh, you know, some, some very sharp uh, uh, researchers, lawyers, etc., who really read every only, every only lawyers read the terms and conditions. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, well, they they certainly read them when they write them. That that's at least the case, right? They're about ninety pages, so I guess yeah. Yeah, and and so and so what 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 the terms and conditions are designed to do is to protect the company, as we've just been saying. But at the same time, the consumer knows that if you don't click, I accept the terms and conditions, you don't get the candy, you don't get the end product, yeah. right? Yeah. And consequently, right. exactly. you just click through. You're very functionalist about it. So 
that type of rational thinking is value-based, right? And the value rationality is where you're making judgments on things that you deeply believe, um, mm. philosophical dispositions, deeply held uh, uh, beliefs, values, virtues. Uh, and I, I think that the the conflation of these two things mm. is what what has gotten us to a place where we can't really even talk about what do we mean by data and, and privacy. So as an example, if we think about a value proposition, I'm somebody who is uh, very precious about my privacy. I'm not a, a hardcore extremist, right? I'm not Edward Snowden who re physically removes the microphone and the camera from any phone he uses. I'm not. I'm not there, right? But I am. I am uh, further to the to, to that side of the spectrum than I am in the middle. Um, so that for me is a question of values because privacy for me as an individual is specifically about not enabling uh, anybody to manipulate the way I view and see the world. Mm -hmm. Right. That, that, that's something that I take very seriously uh, as, mm -hmm. as an academic in, in, in my work and as, as, a, as a modern human being. I think it's critical that, you know, we, we try to uh, push ourselves away from being manipulated. That's a value judgment. So in Weber's framework, I would be engaging in value rationalizing. Right. Mm -hmm. So when I when I choose not to use WhatsApp or when I when I had WhatsApp previously, when it was using the, the signal privacy protocols and that, of course, mm -hmm. they didn't. Uh, make it open and transparent, and then they're going to combine it with uh, Facebook Messenger and so on. So then I'm out, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Get rid of get rid of WhatsApp. I'm done. Um, I think that the 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 part that we are seeing happen now is that people who are using terms and conditions as functional means to get to an end are now starting to make value based arguments for why it's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. So you hear more and more people saying, well, we have to use Facebook. Even the conversation that we're ha having here, we have to use these tools. What are we supposed to do? Not, not communicate with our friends and family? And I think that that is a super interesting development because what we're, what we're seeing there is a move from functional rationalizing about these things into value rationalizing. So the consumer that didn't give a damn about signing up to the terms and conditions is now justifying and defending not reading the terms and conditions, justifying and defending the use of their data by these companies and the, 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 the suspension of their disbelief that manipulation is possible. I think that's very dangerous. When we start to see people defending a position they don't really understand in order to ensure that they can maintain the end result of access to these apps and communication, that's hugely problematic. That's, that's where I think that there needs to be far more education and the onus has to be on the consumer. When the consumer demands that corporations take their data seriously, you'll see a change. Apple is making that change to a degree at the moment, right? They're majoring on this privacy piece because they recognize that people are concerned about privacy. Mm -hmm. that's, that's the direction that things will go. But absolutely, the consumer is king. Um, mm -hmm that's where the conversation has to start. I want to get one more level specific with each of you in just getting a sense of what is the current threat right now around data security and privacy for consumers. And so, for example, I already assume, and I'm not saying this is correct, but I have this much trust in our data security that I already assume that everything I email, everything that I engage with on social media, everything I search is probably being tracked. Uh, and if they wanted to, they could hack into my camera on my phone or my audio or Alexa. And so how true is that really right now? Like you guys are more on the cutting edge of what's really going on with technology. 
what are you seeing and what should our audience know about of being more informed in this way? Mm. What's the current state from your read of the room? I think, and if I, if, uh, you know, based on the fact that we are all digital beings today and we are entirely connected in mm -hmm. every way, shape or form, each one of us is connected in multiple ways. Um, our homes and, our, and the environment that we work in are also connected. So the threat of cybersecurity uh, and cyber threats related to that are huge and they continue to increase every day. And it's this connectivity that is, is forcing that issue. We are also now going to see additional proliferation of uh, Internet of Things that essentially connects all devices in the environment you are. It connects the grid that we operate off, whether that's uh, the electric grid, the water system, uh, what have you. Since all of them are connected, there is a means to hack into them, increasing the need for a layer of security come to terms with those threats. Mm. And it's very easy to do so. For the first time, you can weaponize aspects of what you do on the net and create environments that are harmful. And this can be done by individuals versus large rogue states. Mm -hmm. That's where it used to lie in the old days, right? With simple tools, you can break into someone's environment and cause harm. So people have to treat this as a you know, near and present danger because it is here now mm. and it will only continue to increase. Mm. Uh, we see more and more examples. In fact, during the course of this pandemic, we have seen more examples of phishing uh, threats, ransomware threats. I think they went up, they, some data I have by about 60 to 70% from what it was prior to the pandemic. Uh, and everything from ransomware to phishing and, and, and other spoofing spams, scams um, are proliferating across the board. So it, they can come through to you through your email, uh, through your computer, through your camera, through your microphone, and all of the above. So it's imperative that, uh, and I think to a certain extent, Matteo said, consumers uh, can be given, uh, you know, uh, 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 get out of jail free card. They have to take responsibility, be aware of the environment they're in, and, mm -hmm. and use the right tools to manage that environment. Because this this is it, it's it's real and it's here to stay. That, that I think brings... that point. Sorry, sorry, I just want to say I, th I think yeah. that point is is spot on. The, using the tools, and that that brings us to a conversation about encryption and. and uh, there, there are lots of different conversations around encryption, but the, the what you know, Rick, you were saying you assume that that everything is being looked at. That's a fair assumption, right? It, it, it really is. However, there are tools that you can use to manage uh, environments, as Anurag said, and I think that conversation around what is encryption, why is it important, is is one that needs to be more pervasive. We talk about encryption as if you know it, it's only bad guys that use encryption. We all use encryption. We all, we all, if you ask somebody, um, are you happy with everybody in the world uh, having access to your bank account? Then the answer would be no immediately because then you wouldn't have any money. It would all just be gone. It would be taken. So when it comes to things like finances, we're, we're extremely precious about the, the, the level of encryption and the level of security that we have, but not with other things. 
and I'm going to, I'm going to take a slightly different approach here from, from Anurag when, he, when he's talking about um, rightly all of the things that, that, that uh, uh, companies, governments, and bad actors can access our information. I think that there are also, there's, it's also really important to talk about um, actors that are operating within a legal framework that have similarly deleterious impacts or potentially deleterious impacts on our, on our well-being. So the data that you put out there in the world today helps determine how expensive your insurance is, whether you get insurance at what rate for your home, for your cars, your health insurance. Mm. It has an impact uh, many times on whether you get a job. It has an impact on uh, whether you're accepted to university. And for anybody who says that these things are you know, immaterial, they're obviously not, right? If, if you knew that all of the stuff that you posted on Facebook was going to determine whether your your kid got a position at the university they want to go to, you'd think twice about it. If it if it if it meant the difference between whether or not you get that new job or that new promotion, you'd think about it. So I think that there there does need to be a broader conversation because this stuff is real. It happens every day. But those are the things that we're 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 just accepting of. Hmm. That leads us, I think, to another really interesting question of what is the cost of using these tools? What is the real human cost of using things like WhatsApp and, and allowing our data to be manipulated, uh, sometimes for our benefit, oftentimes not for our benefit, for a corporation's benefit? Those are, those are questions that I think uh, we need to be talking about all the time. The big stories that we see on the news, uh, you know, that needs to be a constant dialogue because that's something that we, we all need to contend with. Is it right? Is it right that the stuff that you post on Facebook under the assumption that this is your private little web page that you're sharing with people that you choose is going to determine major outcomes for your lives and the lives of, of your children, for example. I, for one, don't accept that. It's also why I don't use Facebook. But it's, it's, a, it's a conversation that I think uh, we, we don't realize the extent of those human impacts. So, so Mateo and, and, and Anurag, um, what are the solutions? I mean, it, it, I think... It's it, what you're saying is worrying for mm -hmm. a lot of us. We, we, there's almost a realization that, oops, I think we, we're not taking our privacy seriously. We're doing all the things that you're both saying we should be reconsidering or study more research, more be aware of. As much as we rely on the governments and regulators, I don't think it's going to happen tomorrow. You know, so I guess we either wait and just continue with modus operandi or we do something proactively, as you suggest. Mm. Uh, surprisingly, I mean, a lot of people on the call might think, well, what the hell are you talking about? Not using WhatsApp. It's sort of the uh, oxygen for a lot of people. They survive on WhatsApp. They use it constantly. And it says it's encrypted. So, of course, we mo as far as most people are concerned, it's encrypted. And I know Anurag wants to come in here and desperately wants to jump on this one. I know um, because he talks a lot about the WhatsApp dilemma. So... Two parts to my question. The first one is, what is the WhatsApp dilemma? I'm not picking on WhatsApp. Please, please don't think I'm picking on a, a brand, but it's an important um, aspect of the conversation because you're talking about encryption and messaging and all of these other things come into it. So what's the WhatsApp dilemma? And then what are the solutions now on the consumer side? And then we'll dive into enterprise right after. Yeah, and I, I think you started the question off by saying, you know, you know what are the solutions, right? And, uh, mm -hmm. and before I, I touch upon the WhatsApp dilemma, um, Let's, let's talk about the solutions. I think it has to fund fundamentally start with a level of awareness at the consumer. They have to be aware that they are putting information out there and they should also be aware 
that that information could potentially be abused. And they have to start with that level of awareness and agree that, yes, I want to be able to protect uh, and also want to be able to kind of make sure I orchestrate my information, my data, and I am the one who manages how that data gets used, right? They have to start with that premise. It's not okay anymore to say, I don't really care, I'm okay with it because I'm getting some benefit out of it, right? Secondly, I think I say this to everybody I, I, I talk to about this issue is, don't believe everything you see on, the, uh, on these platforms. Uh, we've come to a point where we've seen, you know, at least a democratization of news taking place, where anybody with a computer or with a device can create news. Mm -hmm. uh, in the old days, um, you know, you had the papers like the Washington Post, the New York Times, right, where you had reporters who went down a beat, they got stories, it was submitted, the editor fact-checked them, looked mm -hmm. at them, and used their brand to publish, right? Mm -hmm. So when we read that news, we were sure that it was to a certain extent validated and could be trusted, right? Today, I can start publishing data and I can come across as a very legitimate organization uh, and, 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 and mm -hmm. submit to you news that looks real when it actually is not. So I always tell people, do not believe everything that you read on these platforms, validate them, because at the end of the day, your behavior could be driven by what you're reading. And we've mm -hmm. seen so many examples of that. Um, yeah. There were, you know, lynchings on, in, in India uh, because some information propagated itself on WhatsApp that spread like wildfire. Mm -hmm. uh, and, 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 and lynchings, people died as a result. So bad things happen when, when you start <laughs> taking and trusting these organizations and these platforms too much. Now, mm -hmm. so segueing to that, to the WhatsApp dilemma, these platforms, WhatsApp including, have a means to kind of seduce you by the services that they're giving you. And they are making claims with regards to how they are managing their information. In the case of WhatsApp, it says this conversation is encrypted. So a lot of people say, hey, hang on a second, this is encrypted. Mm -hmm. But what they do not tell you is what they encrypt and how they control. In mm -hmm. And understand these are for-profit organizations and they, their business is taking your information and profit, profiting off of that information. They make no bones about it. They talk about it because that's what they're in business for. Mm -hmm. So if you look at that and then you look at that in, uh, encrypted statement, then you have to wonder if it's encrypted and they can't read it, then how are they going to use my data? And mm -hmm. if they don't have my data, how are they going to profit from it? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that dilemma of getting seduced by technology like WhatsApp that is giving you an assurance which may not be entirely true, because encryption has to be done on multiple levels. Mm -hmm. You have to understand your information has to be encrypted on your device. It has to be encrypted as it is transported over the, um, the network. And most importantly, it has to be encrypted when it's at rest within WhatsApp servers. So nobody's made any representations to you that the information has been encrypted all the way through those multiple touch points. Mm. And that dilemma is encroaching itself and getting into the enterprise. And mm. we can talk more about that, but to answer, ask question, what are consumers to do? Consumers have to be aware.
where they have to question. And then finally, they have to have use the right tools and take the right measures mm -hmm. to protect themselves mm -hmm. uh, and their families. I think Matteo gave a great example. When you tell them that stuff that you're putting on Facebook um, is going to impact how, you know, what college you get into or your kids get into, people wow. don't realize it. Right? Yeah, it's amazing. I, I ask people all the time, do you care about all the information that Facebook takes? And they said, no, I, we don't care. But then you ask the question differently and say, well, do you care about a person sitting outside your house with a set of binoculars and looking inside your house? You care. And 90% of the people said, well, they'll call the cops and check on that guy, right? So, so they care, but they say they don't care because they aren't aware and they don't have an understanding. So I think the industry has to drive awareness. Consumer groups have to drive awareness. And then people have to understand. They have to question what they see, have the right tools, and, and, and make sure they, they don't take what is being represented to them as gospel, question it to ensure that they are getting what they state they are getting. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and that's why the case of WhatsApp, that dilemma actually kind of moves itself mm -hmm. into en the enterprise as well, where it becomes really scary. And we can touch upon that as well as we get there. I want to remind the audience, this is a good time to ask your questions. If you're listening to us live right now on Facebook or YouTube or even the Zoom call. So please send in your questions. We want to get them answered. And the question I have, I'll start with you, Mateo. Let's talk a little bit more deeply about those tools for protection. So what are some ways that you protect yourselves or even how you would advise your own children on how they should protect themselves? For example, some of the um, most sensitive uh, people who are most sensitive to data protection that I know of are all on signal. They all use VPN networks. Like what are some of the things that you recommend that you see just to help our audience in that way? Yeah, there, there, there are two things here, uh, Rick. So one, these things are all tactics, right? We, we should be really clear about that. Mm -hmm. So these aren't long-term solutions to our social problems. These are, these are tactical measures that people can take. And you're exactly right. Uh, signal app, uh, anything that's open source. So when, when Anurag is talking about this chain, that's super important. It's, un it's important to understand how encryption works. It's also important to understand what are the encryption standards. Generally speaking, open source encryption standards tend to be better because they're, they're out there in the public domain. They're not, they're not uh, mm. uh, proprietary information. And, and that, that brings greater transparency and often greater strength. Uh, so Signal I use uh, a, a VPN service. There are lots of them out there. I'd encourage you to uh, look at the ones that have high security ratings because just because you're using a VPN doesn't mean that all of your traffic isn't being intercepted. Mm. Um, I like ProtonMail and ProtonVPN. These are researchers from CERN, the Large Hadron Collider, that decided that, they, that there was a compelling need to have properly secure uh, uh, communication for lots and lots of reasons, partially as a reaction to... Uh, uh, some of the, the great tragedies that we've seen in journalism uh, in, in recent years. Uh, so th those are those are organizations that I, I think are, are important, but you need to trust your organizations, right? You need to think about who do you trust with your data? So there are lots of tactics like that, you know, just, just being aware. It's like, if you go to the grocery store to buy your groceries and they tell you that you can't check out unless you, you give them access to your Facebook account, you're gonna shop somewhere else, right? So maybe don't shop online at organizations that, you know, ask you to log in with Facebook by mm. way of example, because that's the same thing. Mm. I think there's a broader point here though. These tactics to one side, I, I'll tell you the, all the things that we're talking about here, should people do all these things? Absolutely. Um, and Anurag is, is uh, I couldn't agree more. 
But I'd like to change the conversation a little bit to say, what do I think is actually going to happen? Because on this point, I'm deeply pessimistic. I don't think that there's going to be a revolution of people turning around and saying, we demand more encryption and we demand data privacy. I think corporations will continue to abuse these things. Legislators will continue to fail to make the laws that protect citizens and consumers. And this will get worse. The way I frame this is, you know, part of the biggest problem is in in the U.S. The U.S. doesn't have a general data protection regulation like Europe or the UK, for, for example. When we think about what would be required, I think it has to be something that's comprehensive, something that uh, protects the end user, the consumer. Um, it has to be something that limits the ability of corporations to process that data. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think rather it's going to require something like uh, a hugely catastrophic event. It's, it's going to have to be something that is so profound that it causes us to rethink the way we engage with these technologies. And I liken that to the revolutions of the Enlightenment, right? So the American Revolution, the French Revolution were fundamentally predicated on uh, freedoms, establishment of governments that were not monarchical, didn't have tyrannical control at the very top that dictated every element of your life. And, and when these new uh, nations were built, it was done under the, the philosophical pretenses that we knew from Hobbes and Locke and Rousseau which is the social contract. So it was very clear when you're instantiating this new form of government, what you're getting. You give up certain rights as a citizen. You agree to pay taxes, but in return, you get things from your government, protection from foreign invasion. You get a standing military. You get legal frameworks. You get a judiciary. You get, you get uh, a, a legislature. These are all things that are part of that contract. It's the give and the receive of how we understand how our society functions. We don't have anything even close to that when we're thinking about consumer uh, engagement. We don't, mm. again, the fourth amendment in the United States is, is, is the, 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 that's embedded in the constitution. That is the law of the land. That means the government has to restrict itself from doing these things, but there is no corresponding social contract. There's no mm. corresponding agreement between citizens and consumers and corporations. And until and unless that happens, until there's a, a seismic shift that would demand, require a social contract with corporations who collect and manipulate our data, we're, 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 we're not going to have that change. The last thing I would say here is that what does, what does that look like? Well, today, the, uh, the, I, had a, I had a fascinating conversation with a guy who's the uh, uh, the, the, the chief data scientist at a, at a startup called Lumilinks. The guy's name is Tim. And he made this fantastic observation. He said, you know, we do all of these amazing things with, with data. We have all of this capability, but rather than curing cancer, we're building frameworks to sell stuff to people. And he said, the, the, mm. the, the term he uses said, it's, it's very uh, juvenile. It's juvenile what we're doing with our capabilities. So I really like that because the, the nature of what we're doing with this data manipulation is largely benign, right? There are some actors in the world who, who take our data and as, as Anurag gave the example of these horrendous killings or go after journalists like uh, Khashoggi, for, for example. But by and large, we're selling stuff to people. We're using this tremendous technology and this tremendous amount of data that we have to figure out how to sell stuff to people. It's, it's slightly embarrassing for our, our moment in history, right? 
it, we, we need something that will drive us to, to take that next step. And sadly, I think that that will be a catastrophic failure of these systems. That's going to be the level of thing that's going to be required to get us to properly engage with, with privacy. That's my pessimistic view. Well, it's a nice summary. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. powerful. No, no. At the end of the day, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, truth in what Matteo says, and and while I was listening to him, I was just thinking about it. Uh, you know, unfortunately, we don't have more Matteos out there who would think in the same way because we have more folks who are entirely focused and driven by self-serving profit. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't want to come across as uh, someone who bashes uh, capitalism or. Uh, uh, kind of uh, wants to uh, stifle innovation uh, because I think the openness and the way American society operates today is one of the reasons that I think it's one of the most uh, innovation-friendly uh, environments in the world, right? Uh, along with other reasons. Uh, but but uh, but I, I I tend to agree with uh, with with Matteo. Means uh, ultimately, till there is not a complete, uh, you know. Um, uprise, if you may, at the consumer level. Uh, and the consumer can vote by their behavior at the end of the day, because these companies and corporations and platforms count on them to be able to leverage those, those platforms. But it's unfortunate, um, and I'll give you a small example. You know, the gentleman who runs our European business, great guy, I was walking with him in Munich one day, and he was telling me how frustrated he was seeing some of the smaller stores in his neighborhood closed down because Amazon was actually taking over um, because of the convenience they offered. And he said, you know what, I'm going to make a stand and I'm going to stop buying on Amazon. And he says, I'm also going to make sure I stop um, uh, using some of these other platforms because they are contrary to what society should be, right? And um, I was actually quite surprised about it. And, and, uh, and I pushed him for more. And, and, and his, his, his thought process was right on the money in line with what, what Matteo just said, that consumer has to make themselves hurt. Um, but at the end of the day, a year goes by and he had also promised that he was going to buy a, a low-end phone and stay away from any of these phones that track his behavior. Mm. And uh, I have a, a smile on my face because uh, I was the one who told him, you're not going to be able to make it without these devices. Now, there was goodness in what he was trying to accomplish, but he was just one individual in millions trying to make a point, and that point was not heard. But ultimately, as awareness of these problems and issues continue to increase, <clears throat> I think that voice will get louder and louder where it will force these companies to make a responsible social contract with their end users. So there is a level of responsibility to which they use that data and don't necessarily abuse it. Um, and I, I, I wait for that point in time. And that's why I keep talking about awareness. Awareness is the mm -hmm. biggest tool that we can use as a means to drive this into everybody's thought process, that this is something, it's real, it's near, it's present, uh, be aware of what it does to you, understand it, uh, and then and, and take the appropriate action. And as that awareness continues to grow, I think uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that it will have the desired effect of forcing these companies to, to make the right social contract with their end users. I, I, would, I would say here, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful as well. 
but I don't think it's going to happen. We should remember that what it took to get our social contracts in the construct of the state is for people to put their lives on the line and to overthrow their governments, to go to war over it. Now, I, I wouldn't hope that that would be the case with a consumer social contract, but it's hard to imagine how it would be otherwise because there is increasingly little distance between governments and corporations. So even if, even if Google is uh, committed to protecting your, your data, government has access to Google's data, uh, uh, unfettered access, again, like we're talking about before. So as long as the data is being collected and manipulated, there will be actors, including state actors, who will be interested in ensuring that they have, they have that, that available uh, data to them. I think that when we talk about you know, a, a rebellion, a, a revolution, it will be the likes of moving into more hardcore totalitarian states where these tools are used to drive and manipulate people. And mm. uh, obviously we're, we're getting close to time here, but I think if anybody's interested in that, I would strongly recommend uh, reading Michel Foucault. He writes about this extensively, the, the instantiation of our institutions, how they are specifically designed to manipulate and drive individual behavior and his concept of biopower and biopolitics, which is about how do we govern entire populations? And Foucault would be you know, laughing because you look at the world today, everything is under surveillance. So with that surveillance, with that data comes the knowledge to be able to control. And if you don't think it's possible, right? And, and, and I really, I have to unfortunately end this on a pessimistic note one more time, look to China and look at the type of manipulation of behavior that happens when you have a totalitarian state that is serious about surveilling a population. Mm -hmm. that, that, that's the example. Mm -hmm. So if you care about the so-called uh, civil liberties and freedoms that we have in, in the West, whatever that is, uh, these are issues that should be very near and dear to your heart. And, mm -hmm. and they should be things that you're, you're willing to fight for. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, I, I don't think that most people will do that. Mm -hmm. Well, it's um, we're coming to the end. It's it's U.S. election week. Uh, I sit in London. Uh, we have two folks, Anurag and Rick, in the states who are going to be voting or have already voted. And you, do, you're 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 a total Brit now. Do you still vote in the U.S.? Um, no, I'm American. I'm American citizen. American. I vote. Okay. Absolutely, I vote. You're still voting. So we've got we've got some. I'm I'm outnumbered here. So we wish you all the best for this uh, next week. No, I don't think anyone's going to work in the world next week because everyone's going to be peeled on some some news channel trying to work out what's going to happen next. But. Um, uh, what a wonderful show. Thank you so much for mm -hmm. all of your sort of authenticity, um, being open, being ah, straight. Sorry, yeah. I yeah. have to interrupt here. I have to interrupt no. here because, right, I have to go back to a previous point in the last 30 seconds. Go, so go, we go, were go, talking, go, go, go. We were talking about corporations and I, I, I talked about Proton Mail, Proton VPN Signal. There are organizations that do this on an enterprise and commercial level. And mm. Anurag is, is far too modest to, to mention this. <laughs> Net, NetSphere... Genuinely, NetSphere as as an enterprise solution is is more of the type of thing that we need because that that demonstrates that there is a a a strong focus on keeping encryption and privacy at the forefront uh, for for enterprises, for their employees, and for customers. And I think that that is a a dynamic that we need to push more. So when when Anurag says that he's hopeful and he's serious about this change, it is because he is actively driving this within his own company, within in infinite convergence through things like NetSphere. So mm. it, it is absolutely critical to, to mention that as well, because um, 
uh, Anurag is, is too, far too polite to do to, to do a plug. <laughs> <laughs> no, Matteo, Matteo, thank you for that. And, and just for the audience, I did not pay Matteo for that plug, but I'm humbled by the endorsement. I, I'm humbled by that endorsement. And, and we do take that responsibility very seriously. We are very excited with what we're doing with NetSphere around encryption and keeping enterprises safe and, and providing a platform for uh, agile collaboration that is required in today's day and age. So I appreciate that and, uh, and I appreciate that feedback and, uh, and, uh, and the endorsement as well, Matteo. That's amazing. And I want to say thank you to you both also because we mentioned pessimism and optimism a few times on this call. For us, it's about realism. And that's really what Straight Talk Live is about, is getting real on these kind of topics. So I want to thank you both so much for bringing all sides uh, of this conversation to light. I know it's going to uh, intrigue and impress and compel a lot of people to think differently about how they're using their technologies uh, moving forward. So I want to thank you both very much for being on our show and Matteo for coming back. And really quickly, where can people find out more about you and your work in the world? Where should they go? How about Anurag? We'll start with you. Yeah, you can go to netsphere.com. It's N-E-T-S-F-E-R-E.com. Uh, and uh, you'll find out everything that we're doing with encryption and keeping the enterprise in control and secure and safe. Excellent. Mateo. Uh, and, and yeah, and for me, uh, you know, as I said last time, I don't do social media uh, with, the, with the single exception of LinkedIn. So if you, if you have a desire to get in touch, that's a good place to do it. Um, but... Otherwise, hopefully you won't find me. <laughs> <laughs> On that note. <laughs> now, thank you both so much. Uh, always a pleasure to have you. Uh, and Anurag, great to have you on the show as well. And just for those of you who are going to tune in for next week, um, this is one of our favorite return guests also, Charles Eisenstein, for those of you who saw an earlier episode, one of the deepest philosophers and thinkers of our time. He writes about economics, climate change, uh, social change, and so much more. So we're going to dive deep into really this whole befriending uncertainty and how do you actually leverage that as a skill for leadership when we're all trying to double down on certainty when the world is not um, complying that way. So that's what we're going to get into next week. Thank you all again and bless everyone out there. Stay safe, stay protected, your data <laughs> and your life. <laughs> all right. Be well, everyone. Be well. Thanks, Thank, guys. You. Thank you. Cheers, guys. All the best. Take care.